Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. What's up, everybody? Matt Kajewski here, back again with the Odd Shopper channel. Today, we're talking some college basketball bets ahead of Tuesday. February the 6th. Before we get started, make sure to hit that thumbs up button, subscribe to the channel, and hit the notification bell so you know when this and all other content goes live. We're also brought to you by BetMGM. They have a limited time offer for those of you in legal states with the exception of New York, Puerto Rico, and Nevada. What you'll do is click the link in the video description below, make a deposit of at least $5, then turn around, make a $5 wager on any team, market, total, whatever you want, whether it wins or loses, you will be paid out $158 in the form of bonus bets. You must be 21 or older to play in most states. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, please call or text 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, yesterday did pretty good on the greasy games. The only one we lost ended up being Bethune-Cookman. But as I noted at the end of the video, very likely to take a position on Kansas and Miami. Yeah, I sure did that, and I sure lost those games. So it ended up being just a straight four and four push on the day because of my own behavior. Yeah, I mean, Miami's got a lot of problems and it didn't help that George got injured immediately in that game. And as far as Kansas goes, I'm not I'm not sure, man. Maybe these narrative bros have something on me, like 0-3 betting, the, betting against the narratives that can't be quantified or explained. But yeah, Kansas falls to a Kansas State team, which has been putrid recently, so... No excuses, man. We'll we'll be back to it, and that's what we plan to do today. So let's flip the page and talk about the Tuesday night slate. It's interesting. It kind of lacks the top-end matchups. You know, like Ken Palm's fan match score has this BYU game is the best one. But there's some interesting value to be mined. We'll start in the Big Ten. Rutgers takes on Maryland, and this is a very greasy game, if you can't tell, based on the offensive efficiency numbers for both teams. Yikes. And neither have been great. Rutgers has been extremely bad. 317th in scoring. Maryland's 196, so it's not much better. Basically, everything you look at, effective field goal percentage for both these teams, it's it's horrifyingly bad for both. Rutgers is 358th in effective field goal percentage. Maryland is 302nd. But these teams are excellent on defense. The one thing that leads me to a Rutgers position, as you can see on the screen, was the return of Jeremiah Williams. So he's played in one game this year, was his most recent contest with Rutgers, immediately starts, immediately gets 29 minutes, 10 points, not the most efficient, but good peripherals, added six boards, couple assists. This guy's at Temple Transfer. He actually hasn't played really since 2021, 2022, but he immediately took some other just completely dusty players off the floor for Rutgers. So, I mean, this line is efficient on the back end of my model made it basically Maryland minus seven and a half. If you think this Jeremiah Williams character is better than any of the other guards that have been playing. And if you think he's worth even like a half point to the spread, this is a Rutgers position that's worth taking. There's just some untapped upside with this team. Now that they have a player in the mix who is not being properly accounted for. And he only has a one game sample. So it's small. It requires guesswork. I think it's noteworthy seeing as he immediately plays 29 minutes. 
and gets those other dusty guards off the floor. So we'll we'll take Rutgers. That's basically the crux of the play here. Next up, screen's taking some time loading. Wake Forest takes on Georgia Tech. This is one where basically every single efficiency metric is balanced in Wake Forest's favor. They're better on offense. They're better on defense. They're better rebounding. They're taller. Faster doesn't really matter, but they're better there. They're better shooting. And it's minus four. You have the chance to buy low on this Wake Forest team. And that's what I'll be doing. They've scared me at times. The North Carolina game was exceedingly difficult to watch. Team just chucking up a bunch of really bad threes. But fortunately for them, Georgia Tech definitely does not play defense anywhere near the same caliber as North Carolina. They're 184th in total defensive efficiency. Outside the top 100 on the interior, Wake's pretty good down there. They're 67th in two-point scoring. Three-point percentage, Wake Forest is 12th, and they did return to Mario Monsanto recently, just giving them another flamethrower flamethrower from three. Georgia Tech 94th at defending the three. But there's a couple other things that kind of work in favor of Wake Forest. This Georgia Tech team just doesn't force any turnovers. They're 350th there. They don't generate any fouls. Wake Forest is pretty good at staying out of foul trouble. All the shooting stuff suits Wake Forest. 23rd in effective field goal to Georgia Tech. 237th. Injuries, there's basically no injuries in this game, at least for noteworthy players. Oh, and last one, effective height. Wake Forest, ninth. Georgia Tech, 163rd. Line's a little short, in my opinion. Very surprised to see it here. And if you couldn't tell, I'm not sure Georgia Tech has a single advantage in the game. So we'll back Wake Forest in this spot on the road. A lot of road teams. But we head to the Big 12. Iowa State takes on Texas. This one's tough because Texas, they got Dylan Disu back. They've been better of late, played Houston to an overtime game. But Iowa State still have them as the better team. Offensive efficiency, they do lack a little bit, 45th to Texas 20th. But defensive efficiency, very, very much in the favor of Iowa State. And there's a couple places they'll definitely be able to exploit Texas. Tempo's slow, but ultimately I think this game should be close to a pick As far as the stylistics and why, Couple things Iowa State does on defense are really going to give Texas problems. This is the number one team in the country. I think they're tied with a few others in generating turnovers. Texas has kind of lacked a true point guard for most of the year. You know, like A. Smith will play it sometimes. Tyrese Hunter has been really bad through most of the year. So this team is two of first in turnovers committed. You also have an excellent team in Iowa State in drawing fouls or 24th in that regard. If you've watched Texas play, you know Dylan Disu cannot keep his hands to himself. I would love to – maybe I'll do this just for fun. Look at the analytics and see the chances that Dylan Disu falls out of this game because they're, in my opinion, probably pretty high. But anyway, yeah, that's another slight micro-edge towards Iowa State. Effective field goal percentage is really close. Both these teams are excellent. Iowa State 59th, Texas 35th. Iowa State, I think, is the edge on the interior, albeit slightly. Again, Disu being back definitely helps Texas. Texas has a three-point edge. They're 26th to Iowa State's 91st. Neither of these teams defends the three well, but neither of these teams really shoot a lot of threes. Iowa State, 301st in three-point rate. Texas, 259. Some of that does have to do with pace. So before those of you in the comments come crashing in, talking about Ace Smith shooting threes, I know Texas is 244th in pace. They don't play fast, so I get it. But anyway, in my opinion, two extremely close teams that do a lot of the same things well with a few micro advantages, Iowa State's direction. That was enough to make it closer to a pick in my model rather than looking at Iowa State as a dog. To play this, I think you can just take the two and a half, take a two, it's available to you. I'm not really 
too interested in the money line because I do think this is pretty efficient. But I could see sprinkling that if you wanted to as well. A lot of good players in Iowa State. Excellent defensive team. Should be forcing a lot of turnovers against Texas. Next up, we head to the Big Ten. Indiana takes on Ohio State. This is one we'll look to a total rather than side. And I think the under is the play here. actually got pretty fortunate and got this before it moved a bunch. I have under 145, but I do believe 142 is fine. Basically, this is a pacing situation that we can look to right away. You see the pacing on the screen. Indiana 140th and adjusted tempo Ohio State 303. Looking at the last six weeks, Indiana's dropped to 181 and Ohio State's dropped to 326. Both these teams have a couple injuries. Xavier Johnson got hurt for Indiana. He's their point guard. Their backup, Gabe Cups, is horrifyingly bad. This guy is no business being on a college basketball court right now. Scotty Middleton's also been off for Ohio State. He's more of a rotational piece, but he does force their starters into more minutes. And anytime you lose a piece like that, it's not great. As far as some of the stylistics in the game go, Strength on strength is a little bit of an issue in this spot. Indiana does play well through their front court, which I think is primarily their best path to victory. And Ohio State's probably shooting over the top of you, but neither of these teams are great at shooting. They're both outside the top 100 in effective field goal. Indiana being better than Ohio State, who's kind of on that skid that we've seen recently. Both teams do not force a lot of turnovers. I mean, this could be slow, full possessions, played down to the end of the shot clock. And right away, it's basically just a pacing thing. So to circle it all back to there, two teams that are slowing and already playing not at the fastest pace to begin with. So 142, we'll go under that. I took a 145. All right, now we get to semi-grease. Not quite full grease yet. Dayton's pretty good. Dayton and St. Joseph's. This game should be a lot of fun. And I think we can take some value on the Dayton side. This team is awesome. And I don't think people are actually properly accounting for them fully yet. So right away, just looking at most of the efficiency metrics, they suit Dayton basically across the board. Offensive, they're 15th, St. Joseph 61. Defensive, Dayton 66, St. Joseph 131. Rebounding actually slightly favors St. Joseph, but this should be pretty close. Dayton has a height edge. They're 105th. St. Joseph is 132nd in effective height. And a lot of that with St. Joseph comes in the offensive glass where they do rank ahead of Dayton, but you know, that stops just effort. And you can also see with the height advantage, Dayton should be able to neutralize some of this with their defensive rebounding effective field goal, Dayton 17, St. Joe's 39. So there's just edges for days. And what I like about Dayton is they have multiple paths to beating you. So St. Joe's, it's not like they're a slouch on defense. They're 58th in the interior defense. St. Joe, or Dayton does play pretty well through their interior. They're 67th in scoring in that department. But this team is also 7th in three-point percentage. Dayton has just a plethora of offensive weapons that can get it done against you. And that's where you see St. Joe's rank a little bit worse in terms of where they defend. But, I mean, Deron Holmes, this 6'10 forward, man, watch him play if you get the chance. Shooting 40% from three, he's 6'10". He's some of the best efficiency metrics of any player in the in the country. Nate Santos, 6'7", forward winger, shooting 43% from three. Kobe Brea, 48% from three. Kobe Elvis, 35. I mean, there's a lot of excellent players for this team, a lot of good transfers that have come into the program and should be able to get it done against St. Joe's, who I'm not buying, and I think this line is a little light. 
Last one we'll talk about in depth before we get to some extra grease in a rapid fire section. Charlotte taken on USF. Charlotte's been a really surprising team this year. And I still think we can buy low on them in this spot. When we look to both these teams, Charlotte, 102nd strength of schedule, USF, 262nd. So I think that explains some of the record stuff away. Effective field goals tight between these teams, 173 to 152. Charlotte actually is seeding a little bit in this regard. But if you look at the roster composition of both of these teams, Charlotte is a team I really like, and I think they have a lot of room for growth. Their whole team is basically comprised of Power 5 transfers. So you look, Igor Milicic from Virginia, Deshaun Jackson, Washington State, Robert Broswell, Syracuse, Dean Reber, Rutgers. A lot of really good transfers, and a lot of them are extremely tall. Like Charlotte is multiple players above 6'10". They're 10th in effective height. USF plays a short lineup. They're 285th. On the interior, Charlotte should be absolutely able to just body bag this USF team, excuse me, with a lot of success. And then conversely, USF can't score inside. They're 60, or excuse me, 78th in three-point rate, 101st three-point percentage. Charlotte is a top 25 defense in defending the three. So you have another edge here in this regard for Charlotte. There's a lot of little micro edges the Charlotte team's direction, not to mention just how well they've played this year. So that's the last one we'll officially take a stab at on this card. We'll go to a little rapid fire section now. Did bet some other games, so I'll try to give you one piece of information on it. First one is Bowling Green versus Buffalo. Bowling Green minus 12 and a half. Many of you watched Buffalo on Friday on my recommendation. I owe you an apology. Buffalo is an abomination, but to break it down briefly, it's a large spread. My model did have it as a value. Bowling Green is a massive size advantage over this Buffalo team, and they're over 100 spots better in effective field goal percentage. I'm sure you can all believe that. We watched Buffalo rack up, you know, barely, I don't even remember what they scored, barely over 40 points in their last game. Just egregious behavior from that Buffalo team. They shoot a ton of threes, but they're 359th in three-point percentage, only three teams worse than Buffalo. So we'll back Bowling Green. Second, we'll stay in the MAC. Miami, Ohio, minus five and a half against Northern Illinois, who is down. DePaul transfer, Philmon Grebruit. I don't know when he's coming back. I'm not expecting it to be anytime soon. Their best players also only played in one game, Keyshawn Williams. He's not coming back. Miami, Ohio, 66th in effective field goal. Northern Illinois, 165th. Now you're removing Philmon from the lineup, the DePaul transfer. Miami, Ohio is also awesome at shooting threes. We've bet this team a couple times. Right now, they're 29th in three-point percentage. Northern Illinois is 317th in defending that. So we'll take that edge. Niagara versus Canisius. Niagara's minus four. Basically, the whole handicap is TJ Gadsden's been hurt for Canisius. He's their best player. Hasn't properly been accounted for. I took Rhode Island plus six against George Washington. To sum it all up in like one sentence, I think these teams are closer in most major statistical categories than six points for George Washington on a home court. Like effective field goal, Rhode Island's 99th. George Washington, 140th. Offensive efficiency, Rhode Island's 128th, George Washington 180th. Defensive efficiency, Rhode Island 274, George Washington 186. Three-point percentage, Rhode Island 53, George Washington 73. It's very close in most of these metrics. So my big surprise was seeing this a little bit wide here with a six rather than it being close to a pick em. We'll back Rhode Island. A couple totals I didn't put on the official show because they've moved. Fresno State, San Jose State under 143. Fresno's 275th in pace, San Jose is 289th. That's about it. New Mexico, Wyoming, over 155. New Mexico's eighth in pace. Wyoming is 223. It's not good. It's not bad. 
But New Mexico 75th in effective field goal. They can really score. Wyoming's 167th. But Wyoming does shoot threes really well, which gives this a path towards the over, which is the number I like in this game. So pacing lines up. Shooting should be pretty good in Wyoming. Actually, 42nd and three-point percentage is a lot better than you might think for a middling to below average Mountain West team. Of course, shop these lines. Like A lot of them are going to require shopping, especially the ones at the end. For reference, like that... That line in the Wyoming game, 155, if you can find that, that's exceedingly important rather than a 155 and a half. Odd Shopper has these tools. The link is in the video description below. Aside from just the odd shopping features, we've consolidated basically all our offerings, the Discord where the experts are giving analysis, myself included. We have our market-based approach for all sports, which shows you plus EV betting spots. It's only $14.95 for a week, $49.95 for a month with no long-term commitments. Check it out. I think you'll like it. And there's a lot to offer. So to recap, we have Rutgers plus eight, Wake Forest minus four, Iowa State plus two and a half, under in the Indiana State, Ohio State game, Dayton minus two, Charlotte plus two and a half. Then the throwaways, Bowling Green, Miami, Ohio, Niagara, Rhode Island, under Fresno, over in New Mexico, Wyoming. I will tweet out my card if I add anything else. Otherwise, if you have questions, reach out to me on Twitter at Matt underscore Gajeski. My DMs are open. And until next time, good luck, everyone. We'll see you later.